3: Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Brian Kelly coming up. Pull up a Barstool because Davey Day Trader is back on fast. Barstool sports founder Dave Portnoy joins us to talk about the big boom in day trading that some say he is helping to fuel. Plus, Nikola Shares racing higher again in today's session. We'll talk to the company's founder and executive chairman Trevor Milton. He will join us ahead. Plus, we've got an earnings alert on Lennar. The company was supposed to report results tomorrow, But the earnings are out tonight. We'll break down the numbers straight ahead. But we start off tonight with a massive reversal on Wall Street today. The Dow falling more than 700 points at its lows before closing out the day, up more than half a percent as the Fed laid out plans to buy up individual corporate bonds. This even as the emergence of new coronavirus hotspots around the country add to fears of a second wave. So why, Guy Adami, are markets seemingly so immune to these concerns, and is that actually a good sign for this rally?
2: No, it's not. But before I have to, (laughs) I would be remiss, Melissa, if I didn't wish the BK, the Bitcoin baller, a happy belated birthday. His birthday was yesterday. Mm -hmm. Do you know whose birthday is tomorrow? You don't know. I won't keep you in suspense. Adam Smith would have been 297 years old Tomorrow, why do I mention him? Well, I had to read that book, The Wealth of Nations in the College, you may recall. You probably read it as well. He was sort of the father of uh, free market capitalism. Well, what you saw today was the exact antithesis of that. And I'm going to get added by everybody. But to think this market is at all free market is a fool's folly. And the fact that we rallied into this announcement by the Fed, which I guess we all saw coming, or they announced it prior, shouldn't really surprise anybody. So... I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's ridiculous. I think the next step, although I'm going to get at it again, is they're going to announce buying individual securities or stocks at some point. And to think that you can see why people at home get frustrated and say this is a rigged game. Because you know what? That's what the Fed has effectively told us, in my opinion. We
3: left that whole free market stuff at the door back in the financial crisis, Brian Kelly. But what Guy is describing sounds like Japan. I'm not sure that that really... uh, is going quite as planned either
4: yeah yeah right so I mean yes agreed free market capitalism died back in 2007 2008 so here we are right we can we can be upset about it but this is the market that we have to trade so when we look at what happened today you, know, you have the federal reserve coming in um, governor Daly out of San Francisco had a speech today that said we can't afford not to so Basically, we can't afford not to spend more money. We can't afford to buy more uh, bonds, buy more stocks. Based on that view, from that perspective, if you say, okay, fine, there is going to be monetary stimulus, likely fiscal stimulus to get us through until there is a vaccine, a uh, therapeutic or something, then a second wave is less important to the market. It's not less important to real people. It's just less important to the market And Guy's right. You know, listen, this market, if you want to buy it all, it will go up.
3: Wow. Dan Nathan, please join the conversation here because I feel like that's the perfect entree for you.
5: Yeah, well, hold on to your chairs here, people. I'll just tell you, by today's announcement and the reversal and and going back to last Thursday and the price action we saw, you know, I'm far less bearish on equities, let's say, than I was a couple weeks ago. And I'll just tell you this, because... The Fed has just put a floor in they 're going to do whatever it takes to kind of keep risk assets um, you know afloat here so the idea of a retest of that march low seems very unlikely unless we have. And this is where I, this is a bit nuanced here. I am equally as bearish on the outlook for our economy in the back half of this year, despite the green shoots, despite everything that uh, fancy guys in pinstripe suits want to say on, on the lawn of the, of the White House based on, you know, kind of just hope. Um, you know, I, I just don't buy cut it, off. it. Yeah, well, I'm talking here, big guy. Um, so, uh, you know, at this stage of the game, I am less bearish on the equity markets because what the Fed's going to do from a monetary standpoint, but on the fiscal side, it really seems like we're about to have a cliff where this unemployment bonuses run out at the end of July 31st. Politically, it's going to be very hard to get new um, assistance to consumers here or to citizens. And I think the back half of the year is going to be really hard. So to me, I think it's going to be continue to be a really good trading market for the traders out there. But just listen, I just think we're going to be in a protracted bear market. I know the S&P is down about 10 percent from the highs. I do not see new highs anytime soon. But at this point, I don't see new lows anytime soon either.
3: Tim.
1: Yeah, I mean.
3: Tim, are you with us?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, my, my audio is coming in and out. Look, uh, my my response to all that is um, Brian talked about the market we have. Dan talked about a place where maybe he's a little bit more constructive on equities. Uh, I think you have a dynamic here where, um, first of all, you, you did have almost a 10 percent correction. It happened very quickly, much in the way we saw the recovery happen very quickly. Um, I think you have a case where uh, if you look at, say, the city, economic surprise index today. Not anything to hang your hat on, but it tells you that at least the Empire State manufacturing came back a lot better than people had expected. We're seeing mixed numbers, but we are seeing uh, some sense that, uh, frankly, the consumer is not all that concerned about going back to work. The consumer is not that concerned about the dynamics and the rebound that I think we will eventually get uh, in COVID-19 cases is something I I think the world is getting ready for. So back to sentiment for this market. Uh, I think this has really been, Part of what the last week to ten days has been all about, but the Fed's announcement today, as everyone is talking about, is another extraordinary day for markets. It's not a great day for free markets, but it is extraordinary day for asset prices, and that's why they went higher. And I'm not sure I'd be ready to fight that.
3: I mean, this is the ultimate backstop guy. I mean, in every single asset class, it seems like the Fed is willing to step in and do something. And so, you know, as much as one might be pessimistic about the economic outlook in the back half of the year or a second wave or whatnot. Does it, matter, does it matter if we know the Fed is going to be in the market supporting it?
2: I think, it, well, I mean, that's, that's, that's an interesting and, again, somewhat nuanced question. I do think it I absolutely think it matters because I think one of their main goals is to convince people that things are OK and to, you know, to sort of, I'll say it, to pull the wool over the eyes of the consumer to keep them spending. And that's what this total economy is about. And as long as they see the stock market stable to going higher, uh, one thing we've learned is the consumer will spend money. And I think that's the game. What does it mean, though? It means we're hiding a lot of the things that are troubling us. I mean, but this started long before COVID, in my opinion. This started and I believe, the exact date was September 17th. On the night the sort of repo market went nuts and the Fed's never been able to sort of extricate themselves from it. I think that's problematic. So can they keep asset prices uh, buoyed? Yeah. I think they've proven they can absolutely do that. At what cost is my concern? And I know that's somewhat you know, Jean-Paul Sartre, but, you know, I'll throw it out there anyway.
3: I I agree completely with you. Um, But but at the end of the day, does that really matter? And I'll ask that question again, because all of this, whether it be stimulus or the Fed's action, is all about providing a bridge to get to the other side. And that other side may be the discovery of a vaccine. That other side may, you know, uh, may be just a decline, a severe decline in hospitalizations or, you know, a stemming of the spread here, Dan Nathan. So all of this, if it does work, and there, it gets us to the bridge, isn't that the point? And how do you invest in that right, market? But now-
5: Right. I guess the question is, what do you get? Like, What does the bridge get us? It gets us an extra $4 trillion in debt we've just heaped on this whole thing, and that's going to literally be a huge weight on growth going forward, uh, in in my opinion. But I agree, as we get into the back half of the year and there seems to be progress on a vaccine, and let's say there are these green shoots showing up, I just don't don't buy it. I think that the vaccine comes later than we think. I think disruptions from other waves come and go, and they're really going to hurt the recovery. And I think uh, unemployment stays double digits. I just want to make one other point. When you talk about getting to the other side, equity markets really liked when the 10-year treasury yield was, uh, you know, got off the mat and went from like 65 bips to almost 1% in the last few weeks. But it's come all the way back. I suspect if you see a break of that 55 basis point level, which was the closing low, the all-time low back on March 9th, I think that is the thing that's going to freak out equity markets. That's when our uh, investors start pricing in what negative interest rates look like hmm. here in the U.S. On, on, on our main treasury bonds. And so that's the thing that I suspect takes us back to maybe 2500 2600 But then again, what happens there? The Fed goes ballistic, and that's probably your bottom. So that panic low 2200 on March 23rd is probably out of the woods for now.
3: All right. Well, our next guest questions the stamina of the market comeback. Let's bring in hedge fund manager Mark Yusko. He runs Morgan Creek Capital Management. Mark, always great to speak with you. Hey, Melissa. Great for having me on today. Why, why question the Fed backstop?
6: Well, I think it's it's math, right? I think what the Fed is really ended up doing here is is devaluing the currency. You know, since since we started talking uh, back in October of 2018, you know, the equity markets basically flat. Uh, gold and Bitcoin are up about fifty percent, and gold stocks are up about eighty percent. So what's happening is the nominal value looks like it's rising. That's what the Fed's doing to raise nominal prices. But the real value of our assets is declining.
3: I I get that. But in the short term, Mark, are you trading the market that we have, which is a market that seems to want to go up no matter what you throw at it?
6: Well, it it certainly has gone up in in the last uh, or went up for four weeks. It basically went up from March 23rd to April 23rd. It's pretty much been flattish since it's up about three, four percent since then. And it's been very choppy. Uh, And it's actually down right. Ten percent down double digits for the year. So I think what's interesting is we call it the great separation. And, you know, in our fund, we are long and short. So we're about 50 percent net. Uh, We have a lot of longs, a lot of shorts. And uh, what we try to do is focus on the things that we think still have growth and try to be short the companies that we think are going to struggle in a, in a post COVID world. So uh, there are a lot of things that are very, very overvalued that are still great shorts. And, uh, you know, we're up mid single digits this year with the market down 10. So that's pretty good.
3: What are, what are your highest conviction shorts right now?
6: Uh, you know, we're still short a lot of uh, the, the traditional retail. So, you know, the Amazon roadkill. Um, we're also short some of the really overvalued Uh, tech and software companies. I mean, there are companies out there selling it at 20 and 30 times sales. Forget earnings, but but 20 and 30 times sales. So we're doing a little bit of shorts there.
3: And highest conviction longs at this point?
6: You know, on the long side, uh, we really like the the safe haven trades. You know, we we love oil services, for example. Uh, They got beaten down. So Halliburton and Schlumberger have, have been really nice performers here recently. Uh, and we think there's lots of other things, gold miners, uh, gold and gold stocks. Uh, we like cash here actually. So we actually have a decent amount of cash. But other things on the long side, there are some emerging tech, uh, companies that, that look good and will do better in a, in a post lockdown world. And then, you know, we still favor, uh, a lot of the emerging market growth stories. We like China a lot, um, and the China tech companies in particular like Baba. And uh, 10 cent have been really good.
4: Hey hey markets BK. Yeah. How are you? I got a BK, question how you doing? Uh, about that I'm doing quite well. Um, question about that China trade, right? Yeah. They've been extraordinarily emerging markets China. I understand that uh, that economy may be coming back a little bit faster. but it doesn't give you any pause that those companies could be delisted from the U.S. and would that have an impact on their valuations? Uh, it's great point, P.K.
6: And, and it's interesting because we've seen this movie before, right? There are a number of companies like Wuxi Biopharma uh, that voluntarily delisted uh, to get a better valuation on the Hong Kong market or the A-share market in uh, Shanghai. So I think the threat of delisting is, is a mistake. Uh, I think the whole China Cold War 2.0 thing is a mistake. Uh, I think we should be collaborating, not fighting. Uh, but I think what you'll see is for investors who are nimble, you'll actually get a chance to buy at a, a cheaper price because the uh, these stocks will fall with the threat of delisting. But then when they relist uh, in Hong Kong, uh, they'll go up a lot because there's a lot of money on the sidelines in China that's looking for a place to invest.
3: Mark, always good to speak with you. Thanks.
6: No, thanks for having me. Talk to you soon.
3: Mark Yusko, Morgan Creek Capital. Um, What do you like, dislike about what Mark is buying and selling, Guy?
2: I like the fact that he's staying short some of these beaten up retailers because they've given you an opportunity to trade around. I mean, Mesa's is a great example of a stock that's really only gone lower, but it's had significant bounces along the way, so I think that makes sense. And one of the things he did mention, and I think this is also concerning, and this sort of gets into Tim's wheelhouse and BK to a certain extent as well, is the fact that if the dollar starts to weaken in a measurable way, a lot would think, a lot of people might think that would be bullish for stocks. I'm not so sure. So, again, be careful what you wish for, administration, in terms of a weaker U.S. dollar. You might get it, and it might not be how it looks on the back end.
3: All right. Coming up, the founder of Nikola Motors will join us. That stock has been red hot. We'll get his take on what is driving this big surge. Plus, Davey Daytrader, he's back. Barstool Sports Founder Dave Portnoy joins us to talk about the big explosion in retail trading activity. Fast Money's back in two.
7: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Lennar. The company was supposed to report tomorrow morning, but the results are out tonight. So let's get to Diana Olick, who's got the details. Diana.
0: Yeah, Melissa, they probably couldn't wait to give the good news. Miami-based Lennar beat on earnings and revenue using a very prudent land strategy and taking advantage of new technology already in place. As Lennar's chairman, Stuart Miller, said at the end of Q1, they slowed starts and land spend to preserve cash and protect the balance sheet. Now, a lot of the builders have been using the land light strategy during the pandemic, but Miller said in the Q2 report, business rebounded significantly in May, and by quarter's end, our total new orders declined by only 10 percent, and deliveries ended flat year over year. In sync with the market rebound, we resumed starts and land spend to match the improving market conditions, and this rebound has continued into the first two weeks of June. Now, another interesting note, which we've reported quite a bit on, is this flight from apartments and urban areas. Miller added that customers moved from rental apartments and from densely populated areas to purchase homes, and home sales grew steadily as record low interest rates and low inventory levels drove a favorable rebound in the home building industry. Lenar's Lennar's average sale price did come in a little lower, but the relief said that was due to continuing to shift to lower price communities and regional product mix due to COVID-19 stay-at-home orders in certain higher price markets. Now, Lennar also reinstated guidance, not on revenue or earnings, but on home sales, new orders, deliveries and average selling price and margins. Melissa?
3: Diana, what, what would make it uh, reaffirm guidance for all those things, but not profits or revenues?
0: You know, it depends on what the pricing comes in. And there's also Mm -hmm. the question of, was this pent-up demand that came from spring? Everything dropped off in March and April and then came back very suddenly in May and June. You had record low mortgage rates. You had people, you know, that pent-up demand ready to surge. Can that continue, though, into the next quarter? Will it continue into the fall? Maybe they're not sure. Maybe they don't know if the economy is going for better or worse. And they're just not ready to put that into the numbers yet. Yep.
3: Diana, thanks. Diana Olek uh, with Lenar's results. Uh, the stock, as you saw, is down just slightly. Going into this report, it's up about 40% since the March lows, BK. I don't know where you stand on home builders, but I think it was interesting that Diana pointed out that they may not be reinstating or reasserting full year guidance because they don't know what the economy is going to look like in the back half.
4: Right, right. So this is kind of that uncertainty out there. And if you're a CEO, why would you put yourself out there when you have this kind of free look at what's going on? But I do think it's interesting because anecdotally, what we have heard, what Diana talked about, is this moving from the cities, from apartments, getting away from dense living conditions out into the suburbs. You've heard it about the tri-state area in New York, heard it throughout the, the country that people are getting out of the city, buying homes, buying homes outside and sometimes they're not necessarily thinking about commuting back in to major cities and so they're going to stay there for a while so you know if that trend continues and you have kind of the housing i don't want to say shortage but limited supply that that we have at this point in time it actually could be a really good time oh and low rates let's not forget that Chairman Powell told us there's going to be low rates to 2020. Add those things up, and it looks like a decent environment for the home builders.
3: I mean, the Fed not even thinking about thinking about raising rates plus work from home almost forever, Tim. That sort of changes the equation for a lot of these housing stocks, although they have bounced strong off the lows.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, uh, last week's pullback was really nothing compared to the three week run we'd had. And a lot of these home builders uh, agree that zero interest rates for the foreseeable uh, not only does it give some consumers confidence to go out there and, and take a chance, even if they're uh, job dy- job dynamics are a little bit uh, uh, uncertain, but it also gives the lenders uh, a better opportunity to gauge some of their risks. So um, I do think that this, some of these secular trends in move out of urban areas are still things that are early stage. It's not the reason to go buy them. You own a Lenar because the, the margins have gotten a lot better. I mean, these guys indicated somewhere uh, just north of 20 percent on the gross margin. They're better on businesses. And, and we don't, we do know that within certain demographics uh, there really is pent-up demand, and so filling that supply need has really been the key for the home builders.
3: All right, coming up, shares of Nikola, red hot since going public, but can the company keep up its momentum and truly take on the giant Tesla? We'll talk to the executive chairman, and later, one sector seeing particular strength in today's market. will tell you what it is, and the name's hitting all-time high as Fast Money's back in two.
0: Every day.
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Lennar. The company was supposed to report tomorrow morning, but the results are out tonight. So let's get to Diana Olick, who's got the details. Diana.
0: Yeah, Melissa, they probably couldn't wait to give the good news. Miami-based Lenar beat on earnings and revenue using a very prudent land strategy and taking advantage of new technology already in place. As Lenar's chairman, Stuart Miller, said at the end of Q1, they slowed starts and land spend to preserve cash and protect the balance sheet. Now, a lot of the builders have been using the land light strategy during the pandemic, but Miller said in the Q2 report, business rebounded significantly in May. And by quarter's end, our total new orders declined by only 10 percent and deliveries ended flat year over year. In sync with the market rebound, we resumed starts and land spend to match the improving market conditions. And this rebound has continued into the first two weeks of June. Now, another interesting note, which we've reported quite a bit on, is this flight from apartments and urban areas. Miller added that customers moved from rental apartments and from densely populated areas to purchase homes, and home sales grew steadily as record low interest rates and low inventory levels drove a favorable rebound in the home building industry. Lennar's average sale price did come in a little lower, but the wreath said that was due to continuing to shift to lower-priced communities and regional product mix due to COVID-19 stay-at-home orders in certain higher-priced markets. Now, Lennar also reinstated guidance, not on revenue or earnings, but on home sales, new orders, deliveries, and average selling price and margins. Melissa. Diana, what, what
3: would make it uh, reaffirm guidance for all those things, but not profits or revenues?
0: You know, it depends on what the pricing comes in. And there's also Mm -hmm. the question of, was this pent-up demand that came from spring? Everything dropped off in March and April and then came back very suddenly in May and June. You had record low mortgage rates. You had people, you know, that pent-up demand ready to surge. Can that continue, though, into the next quarter? Will it continue into the fall? Maybe they're not sure. Maybe they don't know if the economy is going for better or worse, and they're just not ready to put that into the numbers yet.
3: Yep. Diana, thanks. Diana Olek uh, with Lennar's Results. Uh, the stock, as you saw, is down just slightly. Going into this report, it's up about 40% since the March lows, BK. I don't know where you stand on home builders, but yeah. I think it was interesting that Diana pointed out that they may not be reinstating or reasserting full-year guidance because they don't know what the economy is going to look like in the back half.
4: Right, right. So this is kind of that uncertainty out there. And if you're a CEO, why would you put yourself out there when you have this kind of free look at what's going on but I do think it's interesting because anecdotally what we have heard, what Diana talked about, is this moving from the cities, from apartments, getting away from dense living conditions out into the suburbs. You've heard it about the tri-state area in New York, heard it throughout the, the country, that people are getting out of the city, buying homes uh, outside. And sometimes they're not necessarily thinking about commuting back in to major cities. And so they're going to stay there for a while. So, you know, if that trend continues and you have kind of the housing i don't want to say shortage but limited supply that that we have at this point in time it actually could be a really good time oh and low rates let's not forget that chairman powell told us there's going to be low rates to 2020 add those things up and it looks like a decent environment for the home builders i
3: mean the fed not even thinking about thinking about raising rates plus work from home almost forever tim that sort of changes the equation for a lot of these housing stocks although they have bounced strong off the lows
1: yeah, I mean, if you think about it, uh, last week's pullback was really nothing compared to the three week run we'd had. in a lot of these home builders uh, agree that zero interest rates for the foreseeable uh, not only does it give some consumers confidence to go out there and, and take a chance, even if they're uh, job, dy- job dynamics are a little bit uh, uh, uncertain, but it also gives the lenders uh, a better opportunity to gauge some of their risks. So um, I do think that this, some of these secular trends in move out of urban areas are still things that are early stage. It's not the reason to go buy them. You own a Lennar because the, the margins have gotten a lot better. I mean, these guys indicated somewhere uh, just north of 20% on the gross margin. They're better on businesses, and, and we, don't, we do know that within certain demographics, uh, there really is pent-up demand, and so filling that supply need has really been the key for the home builders
3: all right coming up shares of Nikola red hot since going public but can the company keep up its momentum and truly take on the giant tesla we'll talk to the executive chairman and later one sector seeing particular strength in today's market will tell you what it is and the name's hitting all-time high as fast money's back in two Welcome back to Fast Money. It is the new hot electric vehicle stock, Nikola, roaring higher. It is now up 96% since its June 4th debut. At one point last week, it had a market cap bigger than that of Ford Motor. Joining us now is Trevor Milton, founder and executive chairman of Nikola Motors. Uh, Trevor, great to have you with us.
8: Thanks. Thanks for having me, for sure.
3: I wanted to ask you about this crazy... roller coaster ride for your stock and it's a roller coaster only going up it seems so far um, but but you're a company right now with a market value that is approximately 8 times the revenue that you're projected to make in 2024 do you have any comment on the on the valuation of your stock
8: yeah i mean i think the world the world's changed a lot in the last year you saw the coronavirus hit the whole world and One of the major issues they had was respiratory problems actually was uh, was a greater, um, a greater effect on the virus itself with people. So investors are rewarding people out there right now that are changing the world, reducing emissions. And I think Nikola Nikola is a unique company because we we're targeting the second largest polluting industry in the world, the trucking industry. And we're the first zero emission semi truck on the Nasdaq listing market. I mean, a company that's actually only focusing on zero emissions with heavy duty trucks. And that's it. that's why you see such a good response so far
3: when will you actually have a product in the market
8: so we have trucks coming off the assembly line right now Uh, that's a question a lot of people ask Uh, so we have a factory in ulm germany and those trucks are being hand built right now on those factories and they start testing they're they're going to be out testing all this year all next year and then we enter into production next year so we're we're less than a year out from from production and revenue so i think that's why people were were excited about you know the future of nikola it's kind of like getting in Early on, some of these uh, these zero emission car companies, people finally get a chance to do that.
3: Right. And, and so, so right now, it's, it's sort of that long haul trucking industry that you're going after with this main product. But you've also got a consumer product, which you say won't, you would like the Badger, which is a consumer product to overtake the Ford F-150, which, of course, is a best selling um, pickup truck. And a lot of the hype in the stock uh, happened around the time when you tweeted that you're taking reservations for this because consumer demand was so brisk. I'm wondering yeah. how you sense what the consumer demand is if you're only just taking reservations now and the reservations are free.
8: Yeah, so well, they're, they're, they won't be free, by the way. But um, it is awesome. I mean, this is how it works. Nikola's main revenue stream is the semi trucks. We can make about $750,000 or more in revenue per truck we sell, which is almost five times what our competitors make per truck. And that's because we we actually include all the fuel with it that we own and we manufacture the hydrogen fuel. So that's the way we make all the money. And the way that we touch the consumers is through our pickup truck, the Badger. And the Badger really is the, the coolest um, electric pickup in the world. And you can order it battery electric or hydrogen electric. And it's the first pickup truck in the world that can go over 600 miles on a single charge. That's really why um, or for, for zero emission. That's why I think you see the excitement is the, the truck is our revenue model and the Badger is the going after the Ford F-150 crown and the way we touch all the consumers around the world.
3: Are you gonna make money off of the Badger? And I asked oh, that yeah. because it, oh, you said, oh yeah. Okay, so oh, yeah. <laughs> what is the price point of the Badger and how does it stack up to the Cybertruck from from Tesla?
8: Yeah, so the Badger is between about 60 and 90 grand. It's it's a little more expensive than, uh, than you would see with the Tesla Cybertruck, but th- we're not we're not really competing against it because our truck is a true pickup truck. It's the size of an F-150. It's used for job sites. It has a 15 kilowatt power export, so you can power drills and saws and an entire you know, job site. It's got, you know, it's got all the doors for a family. You can put car seats in it. You can put a four-wheeler in the back. It's really a true truck like the Americans are, are, are used to. And so that's why it's a little bit different, but it's very profitable. The, the, the Ford F-150 program is one of the only programs in history that's always been profitable, even in bad years.
3: How many reservations have you gotten so far for this Badger?
8: We how not much are you collecting
3: per reservation?
8: Yeah, so the, the reservations open up on June 29th, and they range anywhere from $250 up to 5000 for a reservation. So we actually do charge for the reservations, and I think it's going to be we'll, – we'll come back on your show right after that, uh, June, after that June 29th. We're going to see some really cool numbers. I'm excited from the response we've already had.
3: Okay, let's talk about the semi-truck because that that sounds like it's really going to be the bread and butter for your business, at least in the near term. Um, You've got a $10 billion backlog, I understand, um, led by companies like Anheuser-Busch, who who's already made some commitments to wanting those trucks uh, to deliver their goods. How does it stack up in terms of fuel costs? I understand hydrogen fuel cells may be lighter in the weight, but the cost for hydrogen as I understand it, is a lot more than electric, and the infrastructure isn't there either in terms of charging stations.
8: Yeah, really good points. So first of all, hydrogen, it does take more energy to produce hydrogen than it does to charge a battery electric truck. But the advantage you get with hydrogen is, is you're building all of your hydrogen stations on the interstate freeways, where you're able to source your energy directly and pay under four cents a kilowatt hour for energy. When you charge your truck, say a big semi-truck that's electric in California, your cost will be somewhere right around about 30 cents a kilowatt hour. So that's nearly seven, you know, seven or eight times the cost per kilowatt hour inside of California or other cities than you would with the Nikola hydrogen. So even though hydrogen is a little less efficient, it's much cheaper to actually, it can be cheaper to operate than, uh, than battery electric.
3: I'm sorry. So you're saying that if you charge the truck, the semi truck outside of California, then it's more, so in certain markets, does it not make sense to have that hydrogen fuel cell truck?
8: So the hydrogen fuel cells all based on one specific market. And that's what we call the, the long haul distribution. So it's where it really makes sense because weight is everything and fill times are everything. You need to run your truck three shifts, eight hours a day, you know, essentially all the time. And that's where hydrogen really makes sense, where it's lighter. It can run three shifts. And when, or two but the battery electrics only going to really run one shift a day because if you're if you're charging them really fast it'll actually degrade and ruin the battery and if you're charging your um, you know if you, if you look at cost comparison of a battery electric versus hydrogen battery would be cheaper if you were paying the same rate on energy but you don't because the battery electric truck you're paying the utility for energy the hydrogen we actually control the energy through the through the federal transmission line so we can get energy really cheap
3: okay um, your business model, you mentioned, is, is interesting because you're basically selling these trucks to companies like an Anheuser-Busch and you're packaging everything along with it, services as well as the fuel costs, et cetera. And, and this would be on a lease basis, correct?
8: Yeah, it's very similar to like, you know, Amazon or Verizon. Like you think about you buy a cell phone, all the towers are included, right? You don't need to worry about contracting so, with towers. Well, today, if you think about trucking right now, you have to buy fuel from different people. You have to buy service from different people. It's really complex. Nikola is the only company in the world that's consolidated all into one. Very similar to Amazon. If you want to buy it, like say you want to buy a, a new pair of shoes, you one click of a button, they take care of the merchant, they take care of the seller, they take care of the shipping, they take care of the returns. It's all done and simplified. And that's the first time this has ever been done in trucking. And that's why Nikola, you've seen such a response around the world is the generation that's investing now, they care more about the, the, the environmental impact of what you're doing. Then they do like, oh, well, you're six months or eight months from revenue. They don't care. They're like, you know what? You're changing the world. You're right. going to reduce emissions more than anyone else. We're invested into you.
3: So so of the different buckets, the truck, the fuel, the services, where where's your room to, to increase the margin over time?
8: Um, it's where, all where do you in see the, the
3: biggest uh, leverage?
8: It's all in the hydrogen. The high, we're really a hydro, uh, an energy technology company. We sell the energy to consumers. You know, not consumers, but I'm sorry, businesses that are buying the trucks. That's where the money is. Um, obviously, we want to reduce the cost of our truck, but we're now cheaper to drive than a diesel is per mile. And we make five times the revenue of our competitors. So it's awesome. I mean, that's why Niklas really cracked the chicken and the egg.
3: And, and so as you get that cost of hydrogen, which, as I understand it, is now what, two dollars per kilogram, according to a, a recent presentation. As you get that down, your customers won't expect to have those cost savings as well. <laughs>
8: no they do so that's the idea is right now so so
3: then how do you make more money if you're constantly giving them breaks because you're getting the price of hydrogen lower
8: well you don't give them breaks on everything you get you give them you give them a locked in rate for seven years and then anything that we can drive down the cost in that seven years is given to us
3: got it okay trevor um i think we have a date on june 29th
8: (laughs) i cannot wait and by the way this i i'm so excited so not only am i going to make sure i come back with you guys in june 29 you know june 29th but Nikola World is going to be announced June 29th, where we un- where we actually show off the Nikola Badger in live person for the whole world to see. I want to make sure you guys are there front row and center. I'll get you guys tickets and it'll be one of the greatest shows you've ever seen in your life.
3: Is it going to be worthy of uh, Elon Musk uh, <laughs> unveiling one of his products? I can That's the comparison, you right? That then you're basically the next Elon Musk. Do you like that? Um,
8: I am. Uh, I, I like to uh, do, I like to think about the fact that I'm Trevor, <laughs> not Elon, but I can tell you this. It'll be a better show than you've ever <laughs> been to in your life uh, for any other automotive show in the world.
3: All right. Trevor, great to speak with you. See you June thank Thanks 29. so much. Trevor Thanks Milton, founder of Nikola Motor. Guy, what do you think?
2: couple things. I mean, what he said, he said a lot of amazing things. I, I miss chemistry or physics in high school and college, so... I can't speak intelligently about the technology, but what he did say is interesting. The investing public wants to hear that you're changing the world. He just spoke about ESG in a nutshell, which is why this stock probably can continue to go higher. I mean, I hear hydrogen, and I think of May of 1937, uh, BK might remember that. Of course, the old Hindenburg, and I get a little bit scared, but maybe the technology has come a long way since. But... What he mentioned is the exact reason the Exxons and the Chevrons are having so much trouble and names like this are going parabolic. I don't think, as much as you would love to fight against this for a number of reasons, I think this story has legs.
3: Yeah. Tim, quickly.
1: Well, I think you have a case where You've got a story that you, you define the three different buckets of revenue streams. And it's, it's, it's very different, for example, than Tesla. Um, what's interesting about the valuation, also really tough to get behind. Um, but at least they're doing things that they have it. you know, I don't have to believe in the value of autonomous or data or technology, which is that uh, makes Tesla a tech play. And I don't think that's what we're trying to do here is necessarily compare them. But um, the valuation that's still pretty, pretty unattainable right now, uh, I think, for people to get comfortable with, uh, but I do think the, the things they're doing very differently, they're outsourcing their production. So, uh, you know, all questions about deliveries or what they can deliver uh, truly, I, I don't think, are issues. I think if you look at, at, at the stock, um, there's some dynamics here that have also had something to do with why the stock has run the way it has, including it's essentially uh, been a reverse share into a SPAC structure, um, which doesn't have the same liquidity. And, and ultimately, you've had a case where you have this massive short squeeze. And, and I think that's been a big part of the dynamic here. But a very exciting story, and it's a very different story.
3: All right. Coming up, we are gearing up for earnings from Oracle tomorrow after the bell. Why options traders see a big pop in the stock's future and later. Burger King does the impossible, bringing the plant-based meat trend to its breakfast menu. You've got all the juicy details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the cloud stocks rising above the rest of the market today. Zoom video hitting a new all-time high, while Cladera DocuSign, and Zora all surging higher. Um, But the cloud players aren't the only software names soaring. Check out shares of Oracle. They jumped about 3% today. That stock reports earnings after the bell tomorrow. And options traders are betting on a huge move higher. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike.
2: Hi, Melissa. So we did see calls outpaced puts by about four to one in Oracle today, but I would point out the calls of outpaced puts every single trading day for the past month in Oracle, even though the stock hasn't necessarily been keeping up with all of the rallies that we've seen in the market. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about six percent after they report. That's more than the four percent that the company has averaged over the last eight quarters. And the biggest opening activity that I saw was the June 26th weekly 61 strike calls. Those are the 61 strike calls that expire a week from this coming Friday. The buyer was paying about 15 cents, so risking relatively little to buy over 5,000 of those, betting on a very sharp rally. And I would point out that $61 would represent a new high for Oracle.
3: All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, It's been a Big bright spot: the software space. IGV. Take a look at this. That's the ETF that tracks um, this sector. Nearly 20% gain on the year. Up nearly 50% off the March lows. Dan, you flagged this earlier today.
5: Yeah. Well, it's pretty interesting. You know, Mike's uh, take on Oracle here. The stock is basically unchanged. It's really traded well below a market multiple. And then when you think about the names that you just mentioned to start the segment, Mel, you think about a Zoom. It closed. Um, up nine percent, close to today, at a new all-time high. It's got more than a sixty billion dollar market cap, trading thirty-seven times this year's expected sales. And you say to yourself, "Whoa!" There's just a massive difference here between kind of old tech that's trying to become this new cloud-based recurring revenue model and the stuff that's yet to really prove itself. Like, listen, here's the thing with Zoom: it's a phenomenal company, it's a, ph- a phenomenal product. But how much of that future demand have they pulled forward? How much deceleration will we? See in the next year or so once things calm down or so. So, I just think that it's really indicative of the market that we're in. There are many asset bubbles within this stock market right here, and these cloud stocks are definitely one of them, especially when you have some of these older players like Oracle pretty much left for dead.
4: Yeah, Beaks. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think there is, we're talking a year or so that things calm down, you know, so you look at something like Zoom. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that and a, a lot of companies that are realizing hey you know what I can do more from home so I can work from home uh, more than I ever thought or as you mentioned a couple weeks ago Melissa you can work from an RV people are buying RVs so that is going to be that tailwind for zoom stock I think uh and so yeah it's is it expensive absolutely have they been on a rocket ship ride of course they have but with the story and the tailwind behind them and a market that's going higher I think this is the place you want to be Guy,
3: I don't know if you saw this Bank of America travel survey, which was released today, but uh, they surveyed 20,000 people around the world, and 40% said that they expect to take a business trip in the next three months. 40%, which would imply that uh, the majority are not going to travel. And so, therefore, what do you think of Zoom?
2: If 40%, that means 60%. That's what you're getting at, right? Exactly. Look at me. Ding, ding, ding. What do I think is, well, look, I thought you had to sell it after earnings because I thought it would do a back and fill down. I think I think I said 165 or so. That obviously didn't work out. But we liked it a long time into that earnings release. Now it's sort of in uncharted waters. I still think at a certain point it has to give you another opportunity on the downside. But in terms of the cloud space, you know, this, what is what does Dan call it, software as a service, SaaS or something like that, your Dan thing? but. Tell you what, the best valuation out there in this world is probably still Microsoft, <laughs> despite its value, despite its market cap and despite the ridiculous move that it has. So MSFT is probably the best in breed here.
3: OK, coming up, Davey Daytrader is back on Fast Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy will join us. We'll get his take on the big boom in day trading, which some say he is fueling Fast money's back in two. Welcome back. We're tracking the trends here on Fast Money, and we're getting new data on what retail traders were buying and selling in today's session. So let's
9: get to Kate Rooney, who's got the details. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. A few stocks retail buyers were big on to start this week. First, check out Genius Brands. This little-known children's media company has seen a surge in trading volume and price in recent months. The stock was one of the most bought on Robinhood. That's according to Robin Track. It was also among the top buys in millennial-heavy platform SoFi Invest. Genius Brands ended the day up 8% Monday after announcing a partnership with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's going to star in one of their animated shows. The stock has soared almost 2,000% in the past three months. We also saw retail buyers picking up electric car companies. Tesla and Nikola were among the top buys on Robinhood and SoFi. And a surge in stay-at-home stocks, Zoom, Peloton, and Shopify, saw some unusual options activity to start the day and ended Monday in the green. And finally, the airlines, Delta and American, seen a surge of buyers on Robinhood and SoFi as well. Guys.
3: Kate, thanks, Kate Rooney. Well, the retail trading boom is giving one man a whole lot of attention. The New York Times calling him, quote, the captain of the day traders. The FT coining him a retail bro. And Bloomberg saying Barcelona Sports Dave Portnoy is leading an army of day traders. Let's welcome back to Fast Money, a fast money friend, Davey Day Trader, a.k.a. Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports. Dave, always great to speak with you.
10: Thanks for having me.
3: You've gotten a lot of press. Do you think uh, that's true? Do you think that you are leading an army of day traders out there? Because we all know that there is a rise in retail trading activity at this point. And you've got, what, one million followers?
10: Yeah, I I don't know that I'm the leader. I mean, obviously, the Corona and everybody staying at home has changed the playing field. People who used to sports bet or bet on sports now are doing this like I did. And we have a huge following for a certain demo. So I think it plays a role. We're just, I think, doing something that the financial community hasn't seen before, which is kind of making it fun. Um, we're doing what we do. We're barstooling it. Um, we're making hype videos. We're getting behind it. We're live streaming it. And I think a lot of the old time guys just don't know what the hell's going on with us. So they don't know what to make of us, and they don't have an explanation for why they keep saying everything's going to crash and everything keeps going up. So they're looking for something, and right now I seem like the easy answer.
3: I agree with you that that you're having a lot of fun doing it. A lot of people watch your videos, and they are a lot of fun to watch. And you do have disclaimers, but still, do you feel a sense of responsibility for all those people? I mean, there is a recent study saying that, that government stimulus checks went to retail trading. That people who in every income bracket who got a stimulus check, they increased their amount of trading by like 80 percent in the week following um, receiving their stimulus check. And then the impact that you have can be seen in trading volumes. I mean, there is one penny stock and I'm not not, not even going to mention the name, but it's an eight million dollar market cap stock today. You mentioned it one day and the volume went to all time highs. I mean, do you just take a look at it and think, oh, my gosh. I got to watch. Well, what I, I say. think you're talking
10: about the score. I will mention so I, yeah, that, that somebody said it to me and I said it out loud, you know, that that I think was an ab, uh, abnormal case. I'm not really trading penny stocks like that. I'm like that. When I mentioned it, I tried to get in and it moved too fast. I mean, we're doing name brands for the most part. And some of the brands uh, or companies that you mentioned just before, you know, the Robin Hoods and the day traders, Those stocks are so widely being talked about that I'm almost jumping on them. Like those are all the momentum that I'm hearing about, whether it be genius, whether it be Mark, whether whatever it may be. Um, You know, those are being talked about by everybody. Now we're plugged into that, but those are momentum stocks. Whether it be the Hertz when it catches fire, but as far as feeling responsibility for it, we're pretty clear what we are. Um, You know, I'm not sitting saying I have some great knowledge of it. I can't be held responsible for total idiots. And even to be honest, if the stock market reversed itself, I was telling people to buy Spirit at $7.70. It's around 20 It would have to crash significantly for about a week straight to even get close to where I told people to buy it. So, I mean, you know, people have to make decisions for themselves, obviously. If you want to jump on, you want to jump on. But the facts are I'm not going to feel bad when I have like 400% return since I started doing this.
3: Do you have 400 percent return since you started doing it
10: since it really started like catching on yes because i was doing it early and i mean i spoke with you guys but i was down for shorting boeing and i shorted lulu but since then i do if you look at when i jumped on the airlines and the cruises i mean you, there, there's somebody who tracks me every day and, and it literally like most of the stocks i, I bought I don't know they've, they've quadrupled since when i really made my stand and said and the whole warren buffett thing obviously which was when i announced i wanted to go in on airlines and airlines were where where we should be like 20 minutes later warren buffett got out of the airlines you know and we had some fun with that now people are having more fun with that some not so much fun but yeah since the day trading the by day trading the ddtg global has started to pick up like what we do the more we do it the more people watch I've had incredible returns. I mean, it's all documented.
3: You know, you've done a lot of smack talking, speaking of Warren Buffett, about Warren Buffett. Do you actually mean it? I mean, do you you really do you think that you are the next Warren Buffett? Would you go so far as to say, you know, this is my experience so far. I'm up 400 percent over this short amount of time frame. And and I'm going to be better than Warren Buffett, who's got a 30 year plus track record of average returns of 20 percent.
10: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I doubt I'll be even trading once. Once Corona is over and, and I have oh, really? clarified, yeah, because I got to get back to my nine to five, which is, you know, a, a pretty busy job. So but I on the Warren Buffett front, you know, people are taking offense to that. And I don't know Warren Buffett. And he's one of the great traders of all time. But me saying I'm doing better than Warren Buffett right now. First of all, I am since the airline thing. But Warren Buffett's 90. So I don't think it's that big of an insult to say somebody's past their prime when they're 90 years old. I mean, when Michael Jordan was on the Wizards, he wasn't Michael Jordan. So I don't think it's that big of an insult. And I've said all along, he's like the greatest investor of all time. But right now in this market, I'm doing better.
3: All right. We got to let you go right now, Dave. But right quickly, your highest conviction trade at this moment.
10: Well, right now is a tough spot, but I like Smith & Wesson, the guns. Huh,
3: Dave, we'll speak to you soon. Always great to talk to you.
10: All right. Thanks.
3: Davey Day Trader, Dave Portnoy. Tim Seymour, what do you think?
1: Well, first of all, Warren Warren Buffett is, I would definitely call him an investor, not a trader. Um, I think uh, El Presidente brings up some good points about accountability. Everybody needs to look at themselves in the mirror and decide, uh, what is my risk profile? What can I afford to lose? And what do I really know about what I'm trading? If stocks are penny stocks or stocks are bombed out stocks are on the verge of bankruptcy, there's a reason for it. Um, The fundamentals aren't going to change overnight. So, um, you know, airlines are a good, uh, you know, a good play. I I have to say, I mean, if, if. the airlines I owned were up 400 percent. Even off the absolute bottom, uh, I'd be, you know, probably 30 percent up from where they were at their highs. I'm not sure how the math works, um, but but again, I think there's been a lot of vilification of of Robinhood in some of these day trading platforms. That's not the, they're not big enough to move the market with some of the names that that have been out there. So uh, it comes back to. Fundamentals will win the day. Uh, we know people are staying at home, day trading if if they've got nothing else to do. They have stimulus checks, um, but this is you know I don't think they're moving the market per se. Um, I think certain people are moving stocks that can be moved around.
3: Still highly entertainment guy, entertaining guy. I don't know about you, but <laughs> and you could take it with ten grains of fantastic. salt. But I think I it's mean, really interesting.
2: No, he's 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 introduced. I, I want. I mean, it's probably true. He's introduced an entirely new audience of people to the stock market. And for that alone, that's a good thing. Now, I think there's some dangers inherent with that. But as he pointed out, people need to do their homework. He also said, and I think it was really important, when you know when this whole coronavirus situation is rectified, he's probably not going to do this anymore. I think that's yeah. important to remember. But he has introduced trading investing stocks to a group of people that but for him probably would never have yeah. been interested
3: that's when he's back in two final trade time tim
1: for those who are not day traders google fundamentals fantastic best in mega cap tech
3: dan
5: yeah lift long using a 34 dollars stop to the downside bk If you
4: didn't think the money printer was going to go burr before what the Fed did today and said, got to wake you up, you buy some Bitcoin hedge yourself. G. Twitter.
3: Mad Money's up next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery,